Glorious is our Lord, God, and Savior. Amen. Wow. And I'm trusting that as you sing Alleluia, you're understanding what you're saying. For this word, Alleluia, is literally praise to Yah, Yahweh. Praise to Yah, Alleluia. It's a glorious, glorious word. Pray with me. Blessed Father, oh, we love you. How good you are to us in everything that you do. You wash the birds of the sky. You tend the flowers growing. And yes, you tend us. You nurture us. You prune us. You stir us towards obedience. And yes, you mercifully afflict us. Lord, grace us with wisdom today as we dig into thy word. Please speak, Jesus, so that your sheep can hear your voice. In Christ's name, amen. One more time. Stand with me, please. I will read from chapter 3, 12 through 15. This is the thrust today. And so as those, this is New American Standard. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy, beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule, arbitrate, is a thrust in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You may be seated. I have, I suppose, been accused of loving words, and I do. And sometimes words for flyers or inserts are thought to be excessive, and they have been. So here we are. Today's focus, the how. The how, the how do I do it? Behind the what and why of putting off and putting on, or restated, 
the biblical process of change, particularly from Colossians. First, context. What is Paul's expository and doctrinal trajectory? Consider our glorious, loving Father who is the fountainhead of all of this. Jesus did not appease the Father, convincing him to love us. Jesus was sent by the Father because the Father loves us. And Jesus said, Behold, I have come to do thy will, O God. Hebrews 10, referencing his relationship to God and that he would come. So we have a glorious, eternally loving Father, a glorious Son, his Christ, his anointed one gifted to us. And Colossians has shown us that Christ is supreme ruler over all creation. Incredible thought. And I think Mark chapter 1 adumbrates that a soft, gentle hint of it. That while he's in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, he's being ministered to by the angels. He is man, and he was with the wild animals. All creation, Christ is supreme, potentate. And Christ is then supreme head of the body, his church. <laughs> to homeschool, Tammy in particular has had occasion to meet various people, often from Scott Air Force Base. And she had known a particular lady for quite some time, a sweet gal, who excitedly told her that she was being courted with dating and I guess maybe was now engaged to a man from the Air Force. Tammy elatedly said, oh, who is he? She told the name. What does he do? I don't have a clue. She didn't know. Tammy found out later he was a two-star general. <laughs> and she didn't have a clue. Do you realize who Christ is? You think of him as savior and head of the church, and that's correct. But do you realize the bigger scope? Mm. And through Christ Jesus, the Father saved us, making us, King James, meet, qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He utterly initiated all this 
transferring us out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And now, freed from chains of darkness, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. There is an attitude changer. I am a man hidden with Christ in God. I am a woman hidden with Christ in God that should affect what you think about yourself and your circumstances. Glorious is the wonder, the assurance, the joy of our positional right standing, our positional righteousness before God as those hidden with Christ in God. But is that all? No. The indignities of the Gospels, Gospels' grammar have established huge, glorious mountain peaks pointing to the incredible privilege we have. But now it is the imperatives of the gospel which rise up like Grand Tetons, saying, this is your purpose, this is your glory, that you can become like my beloved son. Another way to say that, you are being fitted for heaven, the imperatives. So following two wondrous chapters in Colossians, which is the apex of New Testament Christology. Then comes 28 imperatives, <laughs> addressing our attitudes, addressing our desires, addressing our speech, our talk, our thoughts, and our behavior. And thus, the what of the put-offs and put-ons is established upon the why of the indicatives. And following the why and what comes the interrogative, how? Okay, Paul, how do I put these things off? How do I put these things on? application, which is where we will stay through today now. Principle number one, what God is teaching through Paul is that we are to agree with the Spirit of God developing a new mindset. Agree with the Spirit of God developing a new mindset. 
What that doesn't mean is as you agree that that's what's taught. The point is, you agree to get on board the bus. You agree, I want to have a new mindset. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then as if he wasn't enough to say it once, he repeats it. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is gloriously parallel to Romans 12. One, one through two, listen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Did you catch that? What you do with your physical body, God receives as spiritual worship. It matters what you do with your body. It matters what you do with your body. And then verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, you may come to have the wisdom, the circumspect thought to be able to see what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Question though comes, which comes first? My thoughts or my emotions. Which comes first, my thoughts or my behavior? Answer, thoughts. Thoughts. As a man thinketh, say it with me, so is he. As a man thinketh, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. Matthew 5 repeats the same concept that if you so much get angry at your brother, you've already broken commandment 6. And if you look upon a woman, should we say, I'm free to look upon same sex? Don't play the fool. If I look upon a woman with lust in my heart, I have already broken commandment seven. So as a man thinketh, so is he. So when bad behavior erupts volcanically, 
And maybe it's not volcanically, maybe it was premeditatively. Or bad words erupt volcanically. This was all preceded by what was in your thoughts, where your thoughts have been. For out of the mouth proceed the thoughts and intents, motives, purposes of the heart. So our Creator God addresses our minds through Holy Scripture simply because He created us as rational thinking beings. How and what we think determines how we feel. How and what we think about determines my emotional state. Oh, not totally, but majorly. How, when you're sick, you're sick. I get it. But the scripture teaches that how and what we think determines how we feel, how we make choices, how we act determines our behavior. So where there's been bad behavior, there's been some bad thinking. Where there's bad behavior, words, attitudes, Emotions, actions, there's been some bad thinking. And don't blame your spouse for your anger, a fool's choice. And don't blame your spouse for your lust, a fool's statement. No, how we think determines the emotions that rise up, our actions, our words, out of the mouth, proceed the thoughts and intents of the heart. And this, contextually, this is why Philippians 4 does what? Philippians 4 addresses anxiety, fretting, worrying, prescribing, Thought control, hmm, of all things. Don't be anxious for anything. Stop anxiety. Stop worrying. Stop fretting over everything, anything. But through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. So the imperative command of Philippians 4 is stop being anxious. And the imperative alternative is verse 6, Philippians 4, 6. Begin taking those concerns and framing them with a thankful heart to your Father. And then the imperative of Philippians 4, 8 through 9 is whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, 
If there's anything worth your praise, think about these things. If you feed your mind nightly on what's on the screen, you ain't going to do this very well. The screen will not lead you to peacefulness in Christ. You've got to be in his word. You've got to be in his word. A new mindset then involves recognizing that if Christ dwells inside me and if sin's presence, not power, but presence is still within me, one of them must be daily put off. Huh. Some of us real good giving Jesus a stiff arm. When was the last time that you deliberately sinned and thought about your blessed Savior right through the midst of it? <laughs> Can't be done. I learned that. That occurred to me in college. Every time I sin, I'm sure not thinking about God. So I've got to sin for me. I pull off Christ to have my Delilah moment or my anger moment or whatever you want to call it. I cannot have my eyes on Christ and willfully walk into sin. There's a clue. Keep your eyes on Christ. A powerful work of sanctification will be done by the Spirit in your heart. So a new mindset involves recognizing that I am responsible personally to put sin to death. Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God working within you. But you are to work it out with what? Fear and trembling. A further aspect to Paul's words is that we have the ability to put sin to death. We actually have the ability to put sin to death. John 5, the man at the pool of Bethesda. Do you want to be made whole? My dear friend, the process of biblical change involves facing this question. Do I really want to be changed? Well, I want the inconvenience of it changed. Or I want the pain of guilt and shame that comes afterwards changed. Do you want the Spirit of God to really purify you through and through, making you fit for heaven? That's the question. 
principle number two, think about the motives that God gives in Colossians. Think of the harvest. Unsanctified sin in a child of God is an ugly thing. Unsanctified sin in a child of God is an ugly thing. And when it happens by, I'll say, accident, it's still ugly. But when it happens because of intentionality, it's really ugly. It's so out of place, so out of place for a child of God. That which we sow, we shall also reap. So if the fruit on my tree is filled with anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, or sexual immorality, impurity, malice, evil desire, passion, covetousness. If the fruit of my tree is repeatedly this, I need to cry out to Christ and say, I want to be a sanctified man. I want you to sanctify me. Through this experience with our ALS that has become a very singularly terse prayer. Sanctify me. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, what God desires in his children is the gentle glow of grace and subtle beauty of Christ-likeness in you, <laughs> in me. The gentle glow of God's grace and Christ-likeness the subtle beauty of Christ-likeness in you. Think about the harvest. Another motive. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, who superintends this whole process. Romans 8, 13-14 is foundational here. Romans 8, 13 to 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Romans 8, 13, 13 to 14 is huge. 
that when the Spirit of God is leading you in God's will, what that means is he's fingering you with regard to particular sins that the Spirit of God has decided this is the next one for you to work on. That's what the Christian life looks like. Remember motives. Remember Calvary and Pentecost. The Father sent the Son to achieve redemption. They then sent the Spirit to apply progressively redemption. My dear family, church family, the indignities of the gospel are glorious, glorious, but they are there to enable, equip, and point us to the imperatives why we're being fitted for heaven. We're being made into the likeness of Jesus. It's not a free ticket to just stay as you've been for decades. No. The indignities lead to imperatives which have the intended result of a people who are beginning to look like Christ, sound like Christ, think like Christ, have emotions and attitudes like Christ. And oh, what a witness. This is the testimony that convinces outsiders as God's character shines through his people into darkness. Principle number three, the method of grace, the method of grace. First, deal with the root, mortifying versus diverting of sin. Hmm. Deal with the root. Sin in you needs a root stroke, not just a branch cut off. You know the dynamic. Very often someone with a particular addiction in one area, they will maybe get healed sufficient to shut down the expression of that addiction over here, what happens? The addiction just shifts over here. So maybe I'm addicted to sex. I shut that down. I start stuffing food inside. Or I start spending money like it's nothing. If the addiction is just diverted like a water river, am I really healed? No. 
it needs a root stroke. A principle here is Romans 13:14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. It's 31 AD. Christ is talking to his apostles and a few others. And one of the men in the circle says, but Master, is it okay if I occasionally go to the local Greek theater and watch some of the plays? And the master says, well, what's in the play? Well, broken marriages, adultery, sexual promiscuity, profanity, but I'm not doing it. I'm just sitting on the hill watching it on the stage. Do I even have to apply this further, people? Greek stage has been replaced by TV now. But I'm not doing it. I'm just watching it on the screen. Yes, you are doing it. Because it's in your mind and it will corrupt you, it has corrupted you. It will continue to feed lust, to feed anger, to feed fear, to feed anxiety, to feed broken marital relationships. What you feed your mind on is, has affected you. So basic biblical principle, we must commit ourselves to holiness in every aspect of our lives. Otherwise, it will just divert water and come out somewhere else. The, the confession of I am a sinner in general does not cut the mustard it does not make headway against sin particular. To merely go through Sunday's confession of sin. Yes, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Oh, thank you for the assurance of pardon. Doesn't cut the mustard. Observe. In the epistles, we're in Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 5, verse 8, verse 9. There is specificity in the sins named. You have to say, yes, there is. Specificity. It doesn't just say, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and by nature children of wrath, that's necessary theology until you get to particular 
statements of Sam. Ponder also, if you have your Bible open in this regard, the connection between 3, 9 and 3, 5 and 8. Some of us are looking, maybe you got it memorized. Ponder 3, 5, five specific sins. Ponder 3, 8, five specific sins. Why do you think 3, 9 then says stop lying to each other? It's because in the church we lie to each other about what we're struggling with. Oh, that's why lying, verse nine, 10, is the capstone. We had a Tuesday night devote to God study, four or five of us there. And we went around the room, and one of the individuals, for the first time perhaps, but in the group setting, was able to open the Bible and specify the particular sin with which he struggled most. Is that healthy? Yes. Is that necessary? Yes. In fact, I may get to it later, but there's a dynamic in the Pauline epistles. When the imperatives come, they are almost always in the second person plural. He does not address us as individuals. He addresses us as a group. And James says, five, Confess your sins one to another. He's not talking about a confessional booth. He's talking about an accountability relationship. We need this if we are going to have God's grace to us, to others, putting a particular sin to death. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. This is the method of grace. First, deal with the root. Second, guard your mind. There is the ever-present danger of the Matthew 12 syndrome. Matthew 12. Sweep your house clean. Don't fill it with anything. Seven demons worse than the first come to re-infill it. If you're trying to put something to death and that's all you're doing, that's how legalists do it. I'm a self-made man. I just won't commit that sin anymore, really. You've got to replace it with Christ. You've got to begin praying. Instead of anger, make me a content man. Instead of anger, let my words be kind. Rehearse them if you must. 
you got to fill your mind with Christ. And the only remedy, and this is a direct quote from St. Clair, the only remedy here is soaking ourselves daily in God's word to such an extent as Spurgeon said of Bunyan, prick him anywhere, his blood flowed bibbling. Is this how God sees me? That I'm so soaked in scripture that my blood flows bibbling. So deal with the root, realize danger of it simply diverting somewhere else. It doesn't want to die. Guard your mind, guard your mind, focus on Christ. And you can't do that unless you're in the Bible, people. If I make myself articulate with the creeds and confessions, but I don't seek Christ in the scripture, you know what I am? A religionist, a Pharisee. You must have epigenosco time with Christ. You don't generate it. He does. But you've got to be in the scripture. So again, characteristically, the imperatives of the New Testament are second person plural. This supports the third. Deal with the root, guard your mind, live in fellowship. It's because the imperatives are typically always in the second person plural that you need brother, sister, brothers, sisters, with whom you're being real with. One of the things we have always loved is campfires. Love sitting on a campfire. But I've always known since childhood, if you have built up a glorious, glowing bed of embers, Beautiful. If one of those tumbles out by itself on the dirt, what happens? It loses its heat real quick. You can't live your Christian life like that. And that's why some of us have lost our heat and frankly look and sound more like what we're supposed to put off than what we're supposed to put on. James 5.16 Confess your sins one to another. Now, in dignities, give us assurance of salvation. Where do imperatives fit in? 
They are the confidence builder in the child of God. Looking back, seeing, I see Christ reshaping me. It's not saving me, but it's designed by God to give you encouragement on the path. And the glory of the imperatives and I've never thought of them this way before this season of life. The glory of the imperatives is to enable me to become like Jesus. Wow, the privilege of becoming more like Christ is what lies behind the imperatives. Oh, Father, give this family, give this body of believers a, a fear and reverence as they work out their salvation. We glory in the indictives, but truth be known, we glory perhaps even more in the imperatives as they lead us to you, Jesus, that we might look like you, sound like you, think like you, behave like you. Please touch us. Melt the hearts of anger. Melt the hearts of lust. Melt the hearts, resisting the move of the Holy Spirit through the priest's word. We humbly bow and say, Master, we love you. You are our God. We are your sheep. In Christ's name, amen.